Welcome to the Arena Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy the message. I wish you'd make me look a little bit thinner on that photo. It's tragic. I mean, you know, come on. I'm doing my best in this season of prayer and fasting to not just, you know, pray, but also use it as an opportunity to shed a few pounds. Anybody with me this, this, uh, this, this morning? Well, you are looking absolutely fantastic. I can't believe how good looking Mansfield is. It's amazing. Just look at the person next to you and think, wow, admire them for a moment. Go on, admire them. Go on, I dare you. Admire them for a moment. I, I double dare you. I admire them for a moment. What an amazing group of people. Seriously, you, you are. And I've been really, really excited. It was, it's been in my calendar. Uh, I'm, not, I'm, I'm certainly in no way hamming this up. I, I knew I was going to be here on this Sunday. I've really been looking forward to being with you guys. I, I love being with you. I think you're an absolutely amazing group of people and God wants to do amazing things through your life personally, whatever that consists of, you know, your everyday ordinary lives. He wants to bless you and he wants to bless this campus. Do you believe that? He wants to bless this campus. Now, I know some of you have not experienced blessing. All you've experienced is hardship. So me saying these things is a bit difficult, but I want you to know that God wants to bless your life. That word blessing that I talk about in, in the Bible, the, the root meaning means happiness, joy. He wants to bring happiness and joy to our lives. Now, life isn't one big just party, is it? We understand that there's trials and tribulations that come to us. But I say to people who aren't believers, I say to them, you know, my life doesn't consist of rose petals being cast along and I walk on them or just, you know, birds singing in the air every morning. I even said to Caroline this morning, I was, I was there, I got up. It was like, oh, God, help me this morning. Anybody know what I'm talking about? It, oh, there's, you're a baller. You, you might be wonderful. You're all a bunch of liars, though, Stephen. You need to do a message on lying here. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You sometimes, oh, God. But, you know, faith began to rise, began to rise in my heart as I, as I was just, you know, worshipping God and just, you know, wanting to, wanting to experience his blessing over my life. So it's not always a bed of roses. It's not always easy. But God wants to bless our lives. He wants to build something into our lives. So who's ready this morning to receive the word? Yeah. Give me a wave if you're ready to receive the word. Get, are you ready with your phones? Uh, not on Facebook and not on Twitter, not on Instagram or not on, you know, whatever, Angry Birds or whatever game you've got. Um, but who's got pad, pad and pen? Who's a pad and pen? Yeah, I'm a pad and pen as well. It always works every time, doesn't it? Yeah. Come on, it always works every time as long as the pen's working right. But anyway, we're going to lean into God's word this morning and believe that God's going to speak to us. I was delighted with Stephen and just some of his thinking around last week. We met uh, as families last Saturday and we had a wonderful time with, with your pastor and, 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 and Alini and just, you know, hearing and just hearing their heart and believing with them for God to do something amazing. We really are standing with you for God to do something amazing this year, a sense of release, a release that'll come in many, many ways. Is it my weight or is this just bobbling all over the place? Anyway, I'll keep going with it. Okay. But, um, you know, I was, I was thrilled as we just talked around the message because what, you're, what we're speaking here, we're actually speaking into Ilkeston as well. It's, it's over both. And Stephen just made this thought around this series not being a system 
of life, you know, systematic, which is what I'm about to talk about, but it was a sign of life. And I said to him at the time, I says, I'm having that. I'm, I'm nicking that phrase. That's, that's going into Ilkeston. And by the way, I didn't tell him it was Stephen Robbins' phrase. I just did it as mine. They're all like, wow, that's amazing. No, it was just a great, great th- phrase that Stephen introduced this whole thought of a sign of life. Because as we look at Acts chapter 2, verse 42, and I wonder if you've got a Bible, if you just turn with me there for a moment, we identified there are four things that they specifically gave themselves to. Let's read it together, shall we, from verse 42. It reads, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, which, um, let me just put in brackets, the word of God. That's in essence what they're saying. Because the apostles' teaching was basically what they knew from their Jewish roots. So from, you know, being amongst the, the rabbi and the synagogue. But also, more importantly, or as important, was the time that spent with Jesus. Jesus has laid a foundation of teaching in them, which is where we get the New Testament from. Much of what's in the New Testament was inspired by the words of Jesus, the life of Jesus. So when he talks about they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, that was the word of God. It also says they devoted themselves to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and also to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe. Everybody go, awe. That's not good enough. Oh, everybody was filled with awe. There was just like a wonder to, wow. And I'll, and I'll explain why there was just filled with this awe. Because there were many wonders and signs performed by the, the apostles. Basically what that means, there was miracles that was taking place. Hannah sent us an email in of just a wonderful miracle that's taken place in in somebody she's connected with at work, and God has supernaturally broke in. And if my memory serves me right, because I've had a few stories this week, it was about a tumor that's completely now gone. This is an unchurched person. They're now recognizing this possibly could be the work of God. I want to say it is the work of God. Now, some of you have experienced people who've died with cancer and with sickness. We understand that. And there's, there's a tension, and that's not my aim to speak into that. That is, that is life, the life that we live. But just because, my, my thoughts are, just because somebody dies of cancer doesn't mean that, I, that God's forgotten or God's never going to heal again. Because I want you to know, for everyone that's died, there's another one that's been healed. Can I hear a big amen? God is still in the business of healing people. And we see here that there were great miracles that were taking place. And then it goes on verse 44. And all the believers were together. And they had everything in common. In fact, they sold property and possessions to give to, give to anyone who had need. There was no need amongst them. If somebody needed a meal, a hot meal, they'd make sure there was a hot meal. If somebody needed transportation, they'd make sure they'd get them transportation. If somebody needed a bed, for the night or for a few days, they'd sorted it out. They was just making sure that they were involved in their lives, of just making sure that everything was taken care of. It's a wonderful picture of what God wants to do in a community that gathers together. And he also says that every day they continue to meet together in the temple courts because of the rhythm of the life of that day. They had more time, if I can say this, than we would possibly have. And so it was part of the rhythm that they were able to meet in the temple courts. And it also talks about they broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. They were praising God, which we've done this morning. And they were enjoying the favor of all the people. 
And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. For a good evangelist like me, this is a great encouragement that God wants to save people every single day. Every day in your workplace, expect God to do something amazing in your workplace. Expect God to do something amazing in the school playground. And make, expect God to do something amazing in your streets and in your neighborhoods. Because people are searching. People are hungry. People want to know what the answers are. And we hold them in our hearts. And if we are being who we should be, shining light for Jesus, and they know that we're believers, they'll start to ask questions. I'm finding more and more and more. Every week, there's not a week that doesn't go by that somebody doesn't ask me a question. Somebody doesn't just seek me out. What do you think about this? These are unchurched people. They're hungry and I'm believing that every day the Lord will add to our number daily those who are being saved. So last week, if you weren't here and I'd encourage you to listen to the podcast, we talked about the whole thing of devoting ourselves to the Word of God and what the Word of God is able to do for us. You know, just for for my notes that I went through, there's a sense of direction that God's word brings to us. It nourishes our souls. It illuminates our steps. It illuminates our eyes. It gives us discernment. This is why this book is no use at your bedside table. It's no use on a bookshelf. It's only useful as we begin to open the pages and we begin to read it. And by the way, if you don't know Jesus, you begin to read this book, you will begin to see Jesus. He is the living word. It says, the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. And I want to tell you, Jesus will literally jump out the pages. You will see God in these pages. It will not just be a book if your heart is open. So we talked about the power of the word and that's why they devoted, committed themselves to it. And we also talked about prayer and the power of prayer. Prayer changes things. It says the prayer of a righteous man or woman avails much. I want to say prayer brings change. Prayer brings breakthrough. So I'd encourage you, Tuesday mornings, come and gather for prayer. Tuesday night, come and gather with us on first Tuesday over in Ilkeston as we pray and seek God together. But there was another two things that they gave themselves to. It was a sign of life, not a system of life. As I've said, it was not a method, but a way of living. It just was a natural heartbeat of their relationship with Jesus. Jesus had so got a hold of their lives. It so brought freedom to them that there were some things that just was an overflow that came from their lives. And the other two things were fellowship and breaking of bread. And for this morning, I'd literally want to break them down, compartmentalize rather than mashing it all together. So we get a clear understanding of what this is. Now listen to me. If you've been in church for ages, the temptation would be to nod off now. I know all about fellowship and I know all about breaking of bread. Well, you might do, but God might just say something fresh to your heart. If you're here and you have no idea what I'm talking about, I want to tell you, if you'll just have your heart open, Jesus is going to knock on the door of your heart and he wants to come into your life. He wants to change your life. And I really believe that those things can happen this morning. But when I think about fellowship and a breaking of bread, my mind immediately went back to the book of Genesis. Just for a moment, let me just digress right to the very start. I've been going through the one-year Bible. It's been part of my rhythm this, this, this year. I'm actually going to go through the whole Bible, which I haven't done for the last two years. I've read around books. But as I was reading through the book of Genesis this, this month so far, I noticed that there was things that God did. Of course, he, he spoke the world into being. I believe that. And on the seventh day, he rested. 
It talks about mankind being created and the animals and all the kinds of things that began to happen. But I noticed there was something that happened that was very significant. You see, God's original intention when sin was not in the world, and sin is the destroyer of lives. Sin is the destroyer of, this, of, of mankind. Sin is the destroyer of this earth. Sin is an awful thing. It's something that's not very politically correct. We don't like using that word sin. But it's all over the Bible. And sin basically means those things that I'm going to do to please myself. I'm going to suit myself because at the very center of sin is the word I. And it just smacks of selfishness. How I can be pleased. How I can be gratified. How I can indulge myself. Whatever that is. But before sin entered the world, there was two wonderful things that happened. You see, we notice it talks about in Genesis in chapter 3 that God walked with man in the garden. And he walked with him, if you're taking notes, in fellowship. He was fellowshipping with him. I'll give a context to that word in a moment. He literally came before God. Get your head around this. Adam and Eve were in the garden. See, honestly, and I take this as it was. There's a lot of theories and all that. I take it as it was. Literally, they were walking in the garden. It was absolutely perfect. They were naked and they didn't even realize because there was no sin. There was no shame in, in their hearts. And God, in the cool of the day, would come and walk with them because he, he, he desired to have fellowship with us. That was his original plan. And it was a fellowship that was pure and right. And the second thing that happened is man ate in the presence of God. Man ate in the presence of God. Because he says you can have all these seed-bearing plants and you, they're yours for food. And it was under, uninterrupted. It was non-contaminated fellowship and eating in the presence of God. That is why I think it's really important when we look at the early church and what they gave themselves to. Because the point is there was an interruption of sin that stopped this fellowship, that stopped this meal. But the God's heart is in Acts chapter 2. We see a reinstatement of these things. Let me help you to understand. A reinstatement, a true reinstatement of fellowship and a true reinstatement of this common meal. Firstly, fellowship. It was fellowship with God and it was fellowship with others. But let me first deal with fellowshipping with God. As I've said, the whole thought was fellowship had been wrecked with God because Adam and Eve had sinned. And sin entered the world. And as sin went on from generation to generation, it got progressively worse. And again, if you read in your Bible, you see the time of Noah. God said, I'm fed up with this. What have I done? What kind of mankind have I created? I mean, this was hundreds of years, the sinfulness of, the, of man. And we can see it even in this day and age. I, don't want to, I, I am going to lift you up in a moment. But as we cast our eye to the world, it's desperate. I mean, help me this morning. It's desperate. It's dark. You might have done some of those things that are depraved, that are awful. I want to say that's the sin that we get wrapped up in, that every one of us can get wrapped up in. Particularly in Ilkeston, and there's some people here as well, but particularly in Ilkeston, my mind goes to some people who've got remarkable stories. I want to say they were so wrapped up in sin. They were so wrapped up in shame. They were so wrapped up in pleasing themselves and doing all kinds of evil things to themselves and to others. And God wonderfully has redeemed them. 
I love the fact that actually you can be sat next to somebody in the campuses in our church and they could have been in prison, but you wouldn't know because they're now dressed and in the right mind. God has done an amazing thing in their lives. You can be sat next to an adulterer, but God has completely healed them and they're now pure in their heart towards others. This is the redeeming work of God. And God's heart is that actually this sin that's in the world has separated us from him. But his desire is that we will come back to fellowship with God. This word fellowship means intimacy. He desires to have an intimacy. And the early church had an intimacy with God. They had fellowship with God. They didn't just know about him. They knew him. They didn't just know about the stories of God. They were now actually getting to know him. Some of you think you know me, but you'll only know me when you see me in the home. Then you'll really know me. Because all this is, it's actually not what I am like here. I'm pretty much off the stage as well. Loud and boisterous. Yes, that's me. Okay. But actually, many of you don't really know me, but my wife knows me. Without going too far, she knows me intimately. And this is what we're talking about, that God's desire is that we wouldn't just know about him. He wants to be intimately known and he wants to intimately know you. This is the fellowship that we're talking about. This is the community that God wants us to enter into. Because another word is community, this fellowship. There was a sharing, there was an openness. And this early church entered into a fellowship, an intimacy, a community with God That was just amazing. In fact, it says in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 9, God is faithful and he who has called you into fellowship, same word, with his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. And we often use it, the benediction in some more formal gatherings. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship. It's the same word in Acts chapter 2, koinonia. It means intimacy. It means an openness. It means a community. And God wants us to come back to the point where we are walking with God again. He wants you to know him. It's part of our goal is that we want every man, woman, boy, girl, child, senior to know God. And his heart is that you would enter into that fellowship, that knowing with him. There was a restoration that took place. No longer was now sin going to separate as it did Adam. Now there was an open access through the presence and person of Jesus. What a wonderful thing that is. But secondly, there was a fellowship with others. This was meaning that in the early church, they were entering into an intimacy, an openness, a community with others. Now this sounds wonderful, but who knows that people are difficult. Again, you're all a bunch of, stop lying. Put your hand up if you know that people are difficult. Just look at the person casually to that side and think. See, fellowship, oh, it's so lovely. I love being in fellowship. It's so nice. Really? Really? You see, this fellowship would be easy if everybody thought the same way that I did. If everybody was like me, this fellowship would be dead easy. Anybody ever think like that? But unfortunately, we're all different. You see, we're dealing with real people with real lives. And this is why it's there at the very heart of it. Because if we was going to build the church, if we was going to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, which was Jesus' heart, that's why he came. 
This message would go to the ends of the earth and would carry on from generation to generation. And so we are here because of them. We are here because of what Jesus did. And that was his heart. But it was only going to happen if people got in fellowship. People got connected one with another. And this is the challenge. Because this means to say that this fellowship was going to demand something from us. There's two things I want to just talk on this. There was a gathering. You know, if we're going to be in fellowship, you can't do it through Facebook. Stop saying, I've got 10,000 friends. You haven't. They're not your friends. There's probably a handful that are, but they're not your friends. You can't build friendships off Facebook. I'm sorry. And if you want to come and fall out with me afterwards, well, actually, come and fall out with Stephen, okay? Because I ain't got time for it. But listen, I'm not no problem with Facebook. I do Twitter. I've got Instagram. I've got likes. But so what? They're not, they're not friendships. Friendships only happen as we gather. That's why we put a big emphasis on teas and coffees and breakfast at the beginning, you know, and, and, and different things that we want. We want people to gather. I only really get to know Andy when I gather. By the way, Andy bought me a brilliant, brilliant Christmas present. He makes, I was going to get there, don't worry, I was going to get there. He makes uh, pickled onions. You may say, really? So what? But they've got, they're full of chili. And anybody knows me, I like fire. Robert, I'm full of fire. Everybody say fire. Oh, I love the fire in all areas. And Andy only knows that because he's gathered with me. I'm posted on Instagram. I'm posted on Facebook. He's got to know me because I've been with him. I'm just making a silly point. We can only really enter fellowship as we gather together. One with another. But what I've also realized, this fellowship, also, there's another thing that I think about, not just gathering, but working. Yeah, I did say working. Because for me, this is where the rubber really hits the road. Paul, this is the thing with small groups, why it's so tough. Because even a gathering, we can sort of give ourselves to. But what we don't like is that we're going to have to work at this thing called fellowship. There's some of you I find very easy. You're lovely. I mean, really, but I'll now look away. There's some of you. Anyway, let's, let's say. And by the way, some of you love it when Stephen's here. But when I'm here, you probably, your heart goes, oh, have we got him? May well be. I don't know. I'm not really bothered because I'm going to keep coming around. You're not going to get rid of me that easily. <laughs> what I'm trying to say is if you do feel like that, that means you have to work at fellowship with me. And I have to work at fellowship with you. Because by the way, if you're going to be a believer and I'm going to be a believer, we're going to have a long time to have to get on with one another. It's called eternity. What I'm trying to say is there are some people that... Irri- I'm not looking at Jared. He doesn't irritate Mate, me at all. Yeah, he doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't, he, Jared doesn't irritate me for I get on very, very well with him. You, you understand what I'm saying? We have to work at this thing. But everybody's got this cozy idea. And the mind here, and if you're new in, or if you've been coming for ages, you know, everybody wants to get on with everybody. Listen, there's some chemistry you have with others. And that's cool. You, you know, it's impossible with me to be, you know, there's in excess of now 500 people across our campuses. That's reality. And everybody will want a bit of, of me or to get to know me. It's impossible. I don't even know everybody's name. I don't know everybody's name here. And then Stephen introduced me as, I'm your pastor. I don't even know you. 
So we have to manage that expectation, but in this context of a church, you've got to know, you've got to know some people. The most important thing is that here, you might not be known by everybody, but you're known by somebody. Because everybody needs to be known, and everybody needs to be needed. And let me tell you, you are known by somebody, even if, you don't, even if I don't know you. And you are needed here, even if it's not by me. Because everybody needs that. And you only get that in fellowship. Not through Facebook, not through online forums, but through gathering. And it will take a lot of work. Time's really rushing away. But let me just say, there's some important things that I need to say about this. Why it works, why it's so difficult as well in working, is because people are different, which I've already alluded to. And people are broken. If we're really honest, none of us have got it all together. There's, a, there's, there's three of our elders here. I'll tell them. I've been praying over the elders and their wives and over my life. Light to shine into dark places over all of our lives. And freedom to come to all the elders and wives. Now, I'm not praying that because I don't believe they're free. I'm praying it because we all need to get free. And I include myself in that. Why is that? Because we're all pretty broken. Let's be honest now. Let's take the mask down just for a moment. We're all pretty broken. We're all pretty messed up. We've all been raised differently. We've all had disappointment. We've all experienced pain. And we bring that into a fellowship. And we have to work it out. I say all that because I did a study recently. Why are there so many one on one another's in the in the New Testament? Have a guess to think of how many one another's there are in the New Testament. I'll tell you, fifty nine times. Fifty nine times it uses this phrase, one another. Let me just give you a few examples. Be at peace with one another. You can say it after. When I do that, that means, okay. <laughs> Wash his feet. It means, you're, it means you're serving them. Love. Honor. Live in harmony with. Accept. Stop passing judgment. Serve. Greet. Be patient with. I'm going to do that one again. Be patient with. I'll do that again. Be patient with. Forgiving. 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 Do you get the point? We have to work at this thing called fellowship. And the early church didn't have angels river dancing around the room, entertaining them. They had to work at this. They had to commit to it. Because fellowship just doesn't happen. This fellowship actually is a clarion call to maturity and for us to grow up. Too many churches have separated because of immaturity and because people haven't been grown up. One of the things that we committed to as a staff at Arena, and I reminded the elders... We have an arena team covenant. I'll just sample, give you four samples out of ten things. We said we, we, we will and we can have frank and open discussions. Even if a question seems stupid or an opinion contrary to others, knowing the environment is trusting and safe. Two, we will always show up on time with a great attitude. 
and we will be consistent. Number three, we will not be overly fragile or run to offense. But if necessary, we will deal with any issue quickly. Number four, we will have a team mentality, fighting for each other, believing the best, and following through on our commitments. I won't go through all of them. These are the one another's that we've committed to. Now, I'd love to say that these all happen wonderfully well. I have many conversations over a year with my staff that they have with me. I might have upset them or they've upset me with, and we have to work it through. That's called maturity. And by the way, if you want to enter into that kind of situation, you can through small groups. And it's not an adage. It's just, you can't, that's the only way you're going to find it. You can get a gathering point here, and if that's where you are at the moment, we respect that. That's fine. But really, if you want to enter into the one another's, you need to get in a group. That's where real maturity, that's where real discipleship takes place. And this is what happened with these people, the in homes. They all couldn't meet together. There was a mighty revival that took place. 3,000 people were, uh, found Christ in one day. And the Lord was adding to their number daily, those who were being saved. I mean, we were talking thousands now of people. They were just meeting, scattered around Jerusalem in their homes, gathering together, being matured, working through their issues, committing to the one another's. And God began to do something amazing because the Holy Spirit was breathing on it all. Secondly, time's nearly gone. Are you still with me? You're not nodded off. Are you enjoying yourselves? We ought to bring some popcorn and coke, didn't we? It was an old cinema. That'd be great one time, wouldn't it? Let's do that. Next time I hear, can we bring some popcorn? Gail, can we bring some popcorn and coke? And we'll just crack them open and we'll have a great time together. Okay, there's a point. But while we're talking about food, let's just think about breaking of bread. Because they committed themselves to the word of God and prayer, which Stephen addressed. We've looked at fellowship. The second thing is the breaking of bread. Two things I want to say very quickly about this breaking of bread. It is titled... In many different churches, in different ways. Some people call it the Eucharist. Other people call it the Holy Communion. You know, we have the phrase of the breaking of bread because we see it through the Bible. That's what it references. Now, even that phrase, needs we need to give a little bit of narrative around it. What is it? Well, first thing I want to say is this. Two things, but first thing, it was simply a common meal. It was a common meal. Some churches have made far more of it. I'll tension what, in my second point to counterbalance what I'm about to say. They've made more of it than it actually is. They've made it too religious, too liturgical, too traditional. It was a common meal. In fact, in some version, it talks about and they devoted themselves to the common meal. It didn't need a priest to break the bread and take the cup. They were doing it in their homes because they understood they're all priests. (laughs) And they ate it in the homes. And actually, they took the words of Jesus literally. They says, as often as you meet together, do it in remembrance of me. So that's why they were doing it in their homes. Basically, they took this cup and this bread and it was a point of remembrance because Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. In fact, let's just read it for a moment. Luke 22, very quickly. I think we've got it on the screen. Jesus said, when the the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table and he said to them, I've eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks 
and said, take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread and he gave thanks and broke it and gave, gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. It was a common meal. It was something that they were used to of the Passover. But Jesus was actually saying, listen, I want this to be part of your rhythm. I want this to be part of your life. I want you to do it when you gather. So whether you're gathering in the temple or whether you're gathering in your home or whether you're gathering with a few Christians, do it in remembrance of me. I will jump ahead of myself. Caroline and I, we do this very, very, very regularly in our home by ourselves. There's not a week that doesn't go but that Caroline and I now don't break bread at least two or three times a week. Just me and Caroline. We break bread. I'll tell you why in a minute. But we break bread. We want to put Jesus at the center. Christmas Day again. It was just an important occasion. We said, come on, let's just get the cup. We don't get wine. We just get the cup because Jesus understands it's the, we're drinking it. It's symbolic. And we took a bit of piece of bread and we just broke it. And we gave thanks. We placed Jesus right in the center. Listen, it's not because we're dead religious in our family. As Isaac says, oh, everybody thinks you're the pastor, so you're just, you don't shout and you're all the rest of it. Listen, I can shout as best as you're to hear me sometimes. Yesterday, we're all kicking off Isaac. We're kicking off with Lilia and Lilia. We're kicking off with Isaac. And the whole street heard it. So don't worry about it, Stephen. Is that anybody like anybody else's house? Oh, they're now not lying, are they? They're all, yeah, nodding. And they're looking at their husbands. That's you, I've got you, okay. We don't do it because we're dead religious. We do it because we understand we want to place him at the center of everything. It was a common meal. But the second thing is, it's a powerful meal. Very quickly, it's a powerful meal. Let me talk about why we do it. When it talks about this bread of life, we don't believe it actually becomes the body of Jesus. That is not in the scriptures. It doesn't actually become the, 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 the body of Jesus. But Jesus in John chapter 6, and you'll have to just do it if you're taking notes, describes himself as the bread of life. And this bread brings sustenance. This bread, this bread brings healing. So as we take of this bread in remembrance, Caroline and I do it, and we pray about it. We say, this is, this is your body. This is, this is for your healing. This is for my healing. This is for our children's healing. This is for our family's healing. We declare it. We declare healing over our lives. It's a powerful meal. It's a powerful meal. Uh, I, I, I've, I've got a, a relative who... They were diagnosed with a serious condition and um, husband and wife. And they got hold of this material, Christian material that was describing this meal. They began to break bread. And in the night when one of them would wake up in fear because of the potential of death that could occur as a result of this, they would break bread together. And it would bring peace to their situation. And they began to just confess that the nourishment of God the bread of life in their bodies. I want to tell you, this person completely healed of cancer. Completely healed of cancer. God did a wonderful miracle 
in their lives. As they took the cup, they were confessing healing, wholeness, preservation. That's what we do. When we take the cup, we drink it, we say, we pray in wholeness, healing, preservation, favor, blessing over our lives and over our family. It's a powerful meal. It's a common meal, but it's a powerful meal. It's, it's a non-mystical meal, and yet it's full of mysticism. Because I want to tell you, going back to Genesis, there was a connection. God was not able to eat with man again because of sin. But in this meal, what does it say? God will be present at this mealtime. Read the scriptures. That's what is a promise because actually through his death and through his resurrection, we now have access to his presence and he comes close to us. So every time I'm sitting with my wife taking this, Jesus comes and eats amongst us. Sorry for getting excited. He's very present as we're enjoying this meal together. He's right in the center. You've got to understand it. Some of you have never heard this stuff before. This is what happens. It's a common meal. And yet it's an incredibly powerful meal. This meal has the power to heal. This this meal has the power to forgive. If you need forgiveness here today, we're going to break bread in a minute. And you can find forgiveness for your sins. If you feel dirty internally. This meal has the power to cleanse If you feel bound up, this meal has the power to bring freedom. And I've already said it. If you're sick, this meal has the power. Jesus has the power to heal. And that is why, let me just finish. As we take of it, I don't want it to get all intense because I'm preaching with intensity there. The common meal brings joyfulness. So I can just enjoy this meal with Andy. But I just think sometimes a word of caution here in arena, we allow the common meal and we forget the powerful meal. I'm not asking us to go quiet because I remember the old days. Nobody would dare say a word. Anybody remember church like that? And you were there and nobody could move. And what do I do next? I don't believe that either. It's just a wrong impression. It's both. There's this joyful meal that they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, but they also understand they were eating it with Jesus. Jesus was there. And something powerful can take place. So let's not lose the essence. When we break bread here, we want to do it joyfully, but we also want to do it just with a sense of awe that God is amongst us. When you're in small groups... Just take time to break bread when you're with your husband and wife. Jared, Sam, you're the, probably the newlyweds here. Break bread together. Nathan and Joanna, she's, she's our. Break bread with one another. You guys, Ken and Jill, let me encourage you. Break bread with one another. Get hold of that bread and that wine. And allow God to come close to you. The amazing thing is they devoted themselves to these things. What happened? People got saved by the bucket load. And if there's ever the heart of arena that's aligned with God's heart, we so want these chairs filled. 
We so want lives transformed. I am so glad. I will point her out. Kim's back here. I saw her again. I thought, that brilliant. I saw her before Christmas. I remember this lady when she was serving the Lord in a previous context. She's here. And I'm sure there's a lot of water under the bridge. But you're here, Kim. Praise be to God. We're believing for more of you. People's lives to be transformed and changed by the wonderful good news of Jesus. So we're going to break bread together. Is that okay?